Hi friends, it's Susan Blackwell from The Spark File, your one-stop shop for creativity where our doors are open. And if you smell something delicious, that's because Laura Camion and I have been cooking up something special, something designed to make a big difference in people's creative lives. Enter The Brave Creative, a free five-day guided adventure to rediscover the vitality energy, and possibility in your creative process. Whether you're a writer, a performer, a baker, a candlestick maker, navigating the creative process can be a bear. But never fear, there's power in numbers at the Spark File. So let's link arms and make the trip together. It's May 13th through 17th, 7 p.m. Eastern, less than one hour per day. And if you can't join live, don't worry about it. You can watch the replay. Join us by going to thesparkfile.com to register. And hey, if you're not familiar with The Spark File, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Secondly, we work with hundreds of creatives of all different kinds who are ready to take their next big step. We help folks fear less and create more in a community that is so fun and vibrant. And if you have joined us before, know that we are going deep with the Brave Creative. So buckle up, Buttercup. It is going to be an awesome adventure. Go to thesparkfile.com to register, but do it soon because it all starts May 13th. Thesparkfile.com. Register now. The Sparkfile podcast may contain profanity and other adult content. Please use your discretion. When I bump into something that inspires me, I dump it in my spark file. To be something that I want to make or how I want to be, I pump it in my spark file. I jump into my spark Welcome to the Spark File, where we believe that everyone is creative, but smart creative people don't go it alone. I'm Laura Camion. And I'm Susan Blackwell. And we are creativity coaches who help people fear less, create more, and bring their creative visions to life. If you are an OG member of the Spark File community, welcome back, Sparkler. If you're joining us for the first time, what? Welcome, friend. Know that just by listening to this podcast, you are joining a warm and wonderful clan of creatives. But hold up. You may be asking yourself, what exactly is a spark file? Oh, a spark file is a place where you consistently collect all your inspirations and fascinations. If you're like us and you're making stuff all the time or you want to be making stuff all the time, you know, if you're not careful, your campfire of creativity can flicker out. Hey, don't despair. We're collecting kindling in the form of fresh ideas, images, and inspiration that spark creativity and peak curiosity. To light a fire under our collective asses to make things like this podcast. Or a practice of allowing light and dark to co-mingle in your life. Mm. Every episode, we're going to reach into our spark files and exchange some sparks. And from time to time, we're going to talk to some folks who spark us too. That means we have more sparks than we can possibly use in this lifetime. Boy, do we ever. Do we ever. (laughs) So if something lights you up, we implore you, please take that thing and make something out of it. Without further ado, let's open up the the spark. spark Gloria Camion, it's Spark Day. It's Spark Day. Oh, it is Spark Day, Suze. I love Spark spark Day. day. I love it so much. I enjoy it. I did roll out of bed with a smile on my face this morning. You smelled sparks in the air and you thought, I did. Spark Day. I did. It's measured. You'll hear why when I when I tell you my spark. So it's measured like I didn't bound out of bed today, but I did get out of bed with a smile knowing it's hmm. Spark Day. That's nice. Uh, Laura Camion, history yeah, buff. Yeah. Lover of history. I just wanted to let you know that... Oh. 20 years after the fact, after yeah. the rest of the world was talking about it around the water cooler, we are watching Band of Brothers. Oh, oh, so good. I should go back and watch that again. Yeah. 
It reminds me of the spark that you did, oh, so many years ago on this very podcast about your grandfather and... Guess what? What? Guess what, Suze? I don't think we aired that. I think we recorded that. And then I was like, you know what? If I was going to talk about my grandpa, I want to do it a little bit better. <gasps> and we edited it so that we only we only aired... This is top secret, folks. Don't tell anyone. It was the the lumber gills. Yes. We only aired the part about the women oh my God. lumber gills. Yeah. Oh Which my is gosh. totally okay. I'm happy to talk about my grandpa. And I will do a spark on him for sure. Can we just can we just yeah. tease that a little bit? I hope you do, and I think you're right. First of all, a few fun facts. Number one, Laura Camion and I recorded several episodes of this podcast that never never aired, aired because we were figuring out how to make a podcast and True. we were like close close getting warmer well, yeah. but we were working it out we were working out the act we were working out the act and even like what we wanted our sparks to consist of and if you can believe this friends this is just the most laughable thing right here but we even despite knowing each other and being good friends for 20 years we were like, well, I mean, we'll see. And like, are we able to talk naturally when we put microphones in front of us? And and will we be able to fill an hour's worth? And our, the very first thing we sat down to record was like two hours and 20 minutes or something. We're like, well, I guess we answered that question. Longer, maybe. It was, it was crazy long. So was the answer so was yes. Yes. I think we'll be able to chat. We can talk and talk. We can talk about anything. But just like a little, uh, just to, yeah. to tease, hopefully, what will be an upcoming uh, yeah. spark from Laura Camion, your grandfather participated in the uh, in D-Day. He did. My grandpa was a Screaming Eagle. Uh, 101st Airborne, they jumped on D-Day. So all those stories about like jumping from a plane that's going faster than what it should be and it's flying lower than it should be because there was a storm that night. So they had trained a certain way and it actually then, okay, real time, it's nothing like what you trained for, now jump. And just like Saving Private Ryan and Band of Brothers, those guys got completely dispersed across the French countryside because of that storm. And separated from their units. Separated. Mm -hmm. Lost, some of them like lost all their equipment. You're just like, now you don't know, am I behind enemy lines? I'm by myself. Anyone you come upon in the dark could be the enemy, could be someone from some other area of the U.S. Army could be a friendly, but you don't know. And yeah. it, they could be a friendly and they're so startled because right. everybody is so adrenal that they accidentally shoot you. Like it is what? Yes. crazy. Uh, so I don't, I know that you are going to do a beautiful spark about this at some point, but of course I thought of you. I thought of your grandfather watching this and I also... I had I have so many thoughts about it and we'll save it. We'll save it for the future, but Well, I'm so excited because that spark, we cut that part of the spark because literally what had happened was I had kind of come in with an assumption that you at least had seen like saving private Ryan. So my spark so, sort of started at the wrong place like with a false assumption. And so I was like, "All right, so remember that thing in saving and you were like, mm, "No." And I would just want to say the reason I haven't seen that, and it's one of the reasons I have to, Band of Brothers is, it's hard. Like, it's not an easy watch. It is a brutal, I think, realistic, I'm guessing, but it seems like a very realistic and brutal depiction of what it's like to be one of those soldiers. Mm-hmm. So I hadn't seen it because I didn't think my heart could take it. And, and that's okay. Yeah. No apology needed. I just, uh, like, that was the first time actually in our creation of this podcast that I realized, oh. Blackwell doesn't know history. <laughs> no, that's not at all my <laughs> takeaway. I just was like, oh, I can't come, you know, like, we can't start our sparks at a place where. 
We're assuming. We're assuming something, yeah. But, you know, the rest of the world, you could assume that of probably like 98% of Americans had taken in those, ma- those were massive hits. Like those were big, big hits, film yeah. and television events. And so 20 years later, yeah. I'm catching up. And I just had to tell you, I've been slowly taking it in and it's, uh, it's a lot and it's, it's fascinating. And it makes me think of you and your grandfather. Thank you. I, uh, I'm actually writing this down because I need to remember this is a good one to go back and watch. Where's it playing now? Is it on It's on HBO Amazon? Max. Oh, HBO. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was produced for HBO and it still lives on their fine network. Interesting. So, but it reminds me also, again, not to jump your spark, but it reminds me of our friends in Ukraine who are just fighting, just yeah, fighting, fighting for their country and what that might look like. Now, the weapons have changed. The technology has probably mm-hmm. advanced. But at the end of the day, just the terror and the stress and the senselessness and the brutality, it's its very intense. And it is similar in that it took, you know, three plus years for the U.S. to join World War II. So there were countries and people who were like literally imploring and begging, please help us. That's right. Anyway, just wanted to share that with you. Uh, I'm catching up slowly but surely 20 years later. Proud of you. Thanks. Thanks, Cams. Do you have a spark for me? I do have a spark for you today. And in a weird way, I should, I should remember like when we wrap up this spark, like what these things that you just touched upon are not unrelated to the spark actually. But wow. let me, let me dig in. I'm going to tell you that my spark today is really brought to you. Thanks to my friend, Corey. And you know, Corey, actually, Suze, you know, Corey, because we always quote Corey to each other. Like among the many gems of learning that I have gotten from Corey is the idea that it's all information. Oh, yes. And we quote that all the time to each other. I don't know if we talk about it on this podcast yet, but. When someone says something to you and you're like, oh my God, Laura Cameron's like, it's all information. It's all information. I got that from Corey. The idea really, sometimes we also translate it into that's news you can use, but it's all information, which is to say like when things are going on around us and we make observations about people, how they handle things, things they say, what their actions say about how they handle things, rather than taking it all in on the emotional level, Corey will say, it's all information. Thank you for that gem, Corey. So good, Corey. So one of the many things, but it's just such a good reminder that we don't need to respond emotionally to everything. And as highly sensitive and emotional people, one way you could operate is by responding emotionally to everything. Yeah. But no, 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 we don't have to. We can just file that information away. So my friend Corey, she's super smart. She's like off the charts EQ, empathy and intelligence. She has a very, very fancy entertainment job and she's a trained coach. She's just amazing. So this past week, I got to see Corey in person, in real life for the first time in two years. And honestly, yeah, like uh, just seeing Corey, like, just getting a big hug was almost enough. (laughs) It was almost enough to like burst into tears then. And obviously now it was so good. It was so good for my soul. But to be honest, like I was having some trepidation about meeting Corey, not because of Corey, but because of me, because I was kind of questioning my ability to be present and in the moment, because this week has been really hard. I'm going to get a little personal here, but in addition to everything going on in the world, I found out that a friend of mine from college had passed away suddenly and unexpectedly. And Suze, you know this better than anyone. Um, It just really blew me sideways. And I really, really struggled. So as much as I wanted to be able to absorb the news and just keep moving, I actually had a moment where I stopped and I thought, fuck that. Like it isn't right to just keep moving. Maria deserves a moment or more than a moment. Like I should be struggling with this. It's absolutely right for me to take time and remember and acknowledge and celebrate Maria's life. 
how did we get pushed into accepting that we just need to keep moving? We just keep being productive no matter what. Well, uh, Laura, I, it's on my mind because we were just talking about it and I've been watching it, but watching Band of Brothers. Yeah. This all goes back to Band of Brothers. No, but watching that, these insane things happen to people, like death occurs two inches from them. Yeah. And it's like, go, 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 soldier, go, go, go. And I think that, that like, got to keep moving. I just think this drive for like, productivity and sometimes suck it up buttercup. We get a fair dose of that in our culture, I guess is what I'm trying to say. We really do. And I mean, historically, if you look, one of the things I I guess we could point to about organized religion that maybe was a good thing and that there was a mourning, there was grieving, and there there was a socially acceptable period of time where everyone understood you're in mourning. And like a ritual built around it. That's right. That's right. And it just feels like, and maybe, maybe when we do a spark about, maybe when we do the one on my grandpa, we could talk about World War II and the, like the productivity, the industrial like revolution and the, the productivity that continued after World War II with the various inventions that happened thanks to a war. Um, and that was like, everyone needs to be making building all the time. But why there's no time for grief now, like it really, really frustrates me in this time of loss that like so many people have lost so much in the last couple of years. And there's no time. There's no permission to take a moment. And so if you don't mind indulging me here for a minute, I would like to share a few thoughts about my friend, Maria Santucci, and a group of us um, from K-State, Kansas State University. Go Wildcats. Good job, Suze. Thanks. We got together for a celebration of life via Zoom a few days ago, and I was so grateful for that opportunity to swap stories and laugh and cry. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, before the pandemic, I don't know that a Zoom memorial would have been something that anyone would even really consider doing. Of course. And so I saw a bunch of people that I hadn't seen in 20 years. Wow. And so we cried and we laughed and we remembered Maria. And one of the things, and this is probably just one of the, frankly, most surface level things, to be honest, that I can say about Maria Santucci is that she was one of the best actors any of us had ever seen in our lives at that time. And that holds true, honestly, even as I've traveled the world and seen God knows how many shows. She was an artist with a capital A. She could sing, dance, improvise, improvise in Shakespearean pantameter. She could draw, she could paint. She had the most exquisitely unique imagination. And on top of that, Sue's, she was so mysterious, not intentionally so, but none of us really understood where this mystical creature had come from and why the hell she was here in Kansas with all of us. Go Wildcats. Yes. Go Wildcats. <laughs> but we learned over time, Maria had gone to school in Kuwait. She went to high school in Kuwait. She had traveled the world. I think her father had been in the Army Corps of Engineers, Oh, which is what had brought them then to Kansas, but she was like this exotic alien. She was so confident and so captivating and also so innocent. Like she didn't understand a lot of our customs. Like she didn't have a prom, uh, for example, because she didn't go, sure. you know, yeah. just yeah. U.S. high schools have some strange things. And so just little things like that, like legitimately confused her. So she was so worldly and so down to earth at the same time. I think that half of what we all learned in college, all of us, we learned from Maria. Truly, like on stage and off. On stage, we were mesmerized by her. She could hold an audience in rapt silence. Her energy could be felt in the back row of any theater. She could raise an eyebrow or lift one finger and get a laugh. 
I mean, it was truly amazing and worthy of study. Oh, here's a quick story. This is not the most interesting thing or the greatest accomplishment of Maria Santucci, but I promise there is a larger point to this. One year, we all went to ACTF. I think it was in Minneapolis that year. And one of our shows had been nominated. So a bunch of us were there. It was a big trip. It was very exciting that we had been selected and to travel there was a really big deal. And Maria had been nominated for the Irene Ryan acting competition. Oh, so fancy. So fancy. She was older, like she was older than me, but I didn't know anything about any of this genuinely. So I was in awe and I just observed her every move. We all did, frankly. But she moved through the rounds with such grace and such confidence. It was like she was light years older than us, honestly. But we knew she she wasn't. She couldn't be. But we were just in awe. So Maria made the final round and we were so proud to watch her because that's when like the auditorium's filled with everyone who's there and it's the top five women, the top five men. And we all went wild when she won the whole fucking thing. Really? Yeah. She won the whole fucking thing. She took it all. Wow. She took it all. And her monologue was legendary. We still quote it among friends. Like anytime we get together, there's a moment at least where we have to like quote the monologue and one of her moves. And what, what was, what did she do? Do you remember? It was from one of the lesser known Shakespeare plays. It was this monologue that describes Marcus Aurelius. And it was everything you want a monologue to be, of course, in a competition because it had this like, deep down like guttural in her belly and then it had this light and like beautiful loving description of him like it had like ups and downs vocally and physically and it was just like it was everything and of course I think it was actually kind of pieced together I don't I I remember now people being like that wasn't unusual, but it worked, but it worked. I think one of our college professors had pieced together, like, technically, these two lines aren't said by this person, but it could go with this. It was amazing. So would it be Julius Caesar? Maybe? No, I know it was a, a female character because she's describing him as though she's like, she's in love with him, but also, oh, does she hate him? I don't know. I don't wow. know, but it had it had like all that range of emotion. Yeah. But I remember something about the moon and the stars, but it's like, shall they hoist me up? I don't know. I can't remember anything but that. Listen, I won't subject you to it on this, but we overact that moment because even uh, like all of us were like doing our very best to make that moment work and we're dying of laughter because we can't, but Maria could, she could carry the weight of something like that. She was amazing. She was amazing. And then I think she paired it with like some Christopher Durang comedy over the top comedy. I mean, it was amazing. Yes. So when she won the whole damn thing, we were beyond ourselves. We were crazy excited. I mean, my experience growing up in Kansas, as I have mentioned before, is that overall, we didn't really expect those things to happen to us. Like surely there were other people on the East Coast or the West Coast that were superior to anything that we could do. But here was Maria fucking Santucci bringing home the big prize on behalf of our little school and our unknown drama program. It's a big deal. It is a big deal. And I think that Maria showed us inadvertently that there was so much more possible for all of us than we had even allowed ourselves to imagine. And she had the legitimacy to show us this because like she had seen the world. She had seen the world and she deemed all of us worthy of being in it and of taking up space in it. I don't know, maybe that seems like a thing that doesn't need to be learned, but my young impressionable mind needed to know it. Yeah. Maybe it's a Midwestern thing. I don't know. Maybe it was more specific to my family stories. Really, I, I don't know. And I don't want to say it's a Everyone feels this way, but these moments can be really pivotal turning points for young people. And Maria provided it for me without a doubt. Yeah. I suddenly knew there was a big world out there and there was a place for me in it. And I'm allowed to take up space without apology. 
Yeah. So on stage and off, Maria taught us new things and showed us all a different way to see the world. She also saw our world in a different way. And she reflected that back to us so we could see sort of the humor and the absurdity and some of the things that we kind of had always taken for granted. Maria Santucci was a gift. And she was inspirational. And she was aspirational. I'm so grateful that I got to spend even a tiny bit of time with her while on this earth. I just wanted to take a moment to have said that. And thank you so much for allowing me to do that because I do think it's important to remember and honor, you know, the people that we love and to take the time to do it. Maybe stop pushing for a second to just say, yeah, I can carve out this time. So this week when I met with Corey, all of this was weighing heavily on me. Yes. And so of course, Corey being the beautiful and wonderful friend that she is, I just told her the truth. I mean, instead of telling her I'm doing great, everything's fine. I told her about Maria's passing and how I'd really been struggling all week. I've been teary, which I recognize is not entirely unusual. But (laughs) I was also like extra teary, extra, extra teary. And I also felt like kind of clingy with Wes, like, like I'm suddenly afraid of losing everyone that I love. Yeah. And I like I wasn't sleeping well, felt like I couldn't get anything done. Like I'm moving in slow motion. I can't get motivated. Just a constant desperate need for an escape. Like all day I would suffer through trying to just accomplish one thing, just one foot in front of the other. And then at night I should go to sleep, but I can't stop watching anything that takes place in like another world, like preferably historical. Yeah. Like I rewatched the Tudors, Outlander, Game of Thrones, you know, the real historical stuff. Yeah. And I always joke about that. I can't, I couldn't, I couldn't resist. We're always just like, you know, back in the Game of Thrones times. Like, those didn't happen. Anyway, it's so obvious, I guess, that I'm looking for a way to disconnect from the pain of what is happening in the world right now. You know, we talked last week about, or a couple weeks ago about the Ukraine, the laws being passed in Florida and in Texas and the reopening of the world, the loss of my friends and on and on. And so I pour my heart out to Corey and you know what happened? Oh, Corey gave me the best gift. She pointed me toward the latest episode of Brene Brown's podcast, Unlocking Us, with Karen Walrund as her guest, who is apparently, I don't know, um, but apparently, according to them, she's a dear friend of Brene's. She wrote The Lightmaker's Manifesto, How to Work for Change Without Losing Your Joy. Mm. So here I am having a conversation with my dear friend, and she shares with me the beauty of this conversation between dear friends. And now I'm passing it along to you, Suze, my dear friend. Nice. Nice. And I highlight the friendship part because when I listen to the episode, it is so heart opening and so honest as only conversations with real friends can be, I think. In much the same way as, you know, it totally mirrored how I sat down to talk with Corey, Brene opens up this conversation with Karen Walrund, totally honest. She admits she's been truly struggling lately. Things have been hard. She says, like, I'm not falling apart, but I am perpetually not okay. And every time I get the earth under my feet a little bit, it starts to move again. And oh, God, I was like, yes, yes. She describes all of it from, you know, COVID to marriage stress and her parents are older and that brings new stress and all of this stuff all the way through the same thing, you know, the invasion of the Ukraine and the the laws in Texas, which is where she lives. And she said that she feels like when something good does happen, something as small as her son, like scoring a goal at a soccer game, that it isn't okay for her to like jump up and get excited. It's not okay to access joy Mm. with all of this going on. Mm -hmm. And Karen Walrund was the perfect guest for this because she's a lawyer, she's a leadership coach, an activist. She has made it her business to help people find their purpose in life and to live with intention. As she said on the podcast, when she wrote her book, The Lightmaker's Manifesto, she interviewed a lot of people and a lot of people who make activism their life's work. It's what they do for a living. And she said, the thing that became really apparent is that in order to have longevity in the work, 
there has to have a, a rhythm to it. There is an ebb and a flow. And perhaps that's the natural order of things. Literally, it is nature. It is natural. We have ebbing and flowing tides. We have waxing and waning moons. We have seasons. Of course, all of this, this whole section of their conversation reminded me of wintering mm, mm-hmm. and that that spark that you shared, um, yeah. which is kind of like allowing yourself to have different seasons. Yeah, that's right. Catherine you know, May's book, Wintering, it really is about when you talk about, Laura, you're grieving and at the same time you're like got to get up, got to go, got to do what I would do in the course of a normal span of a week or two weeks or a month or whatever, instead of just acknowledging the reality of where you're really at and how that is impacting your your energy and your rhythms. That's right. And letting that be okay. Yeah. And Walren goes on to say, sometimes you have to go in hard and you fight and sometimes you have to stop. We inhale, we exhale, everything has a rhythm. And you can have all of these things, but you also have to be able to stop. You have to be able to regenerate. She even says that if she were to rewrite her book over again, she would move the chapters on self-compassion and self-care to the very front of the book, she said, because based on everything she's learned, she thinks that we need to front load them. And I really loved this part of the conversation because literally in my 50th year on the planet, I'm finally embracing and understanding the concept of self-compassion. Genuinely. I would, I I think I would hear that and would be like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. That doesn't work for me. Like being kind of hard on myself works for me. Uh Uh-huh. You know, pushing myself works for me. Uh Uh-huh. So you softies, go be compassionate. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yes. And of course- Like I said, eventually I come to the conclusion like, oh, wow, what could self-compassion do for me? And Karen Walren says that basically the trouble is we start to think about self-care and self-compassion once we're already spent. I'm embarrassed to say that. Oh, yes, of course. I felt called out. I, yeah. Yeah. Because that, like I just said, even that was progress for me. I'm like, oh, this is amazing to even like come to a conclusion of like, oh, you know what I need is some self-compassion. But I'm getting there only after I have depleted all of my resources. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. So her point is that thinking about self-care when we're already depleted is possibly too late. We need to front load it. And in doing so, it's like filling the tank, storing up energy to go and change the world or go and do good things in the world. And when we talk about what do we make of this, which we'll do in a few minutes, but I'm going to share a few like real and tangible ways that she suggests that we fill up on beauty and goodness. Mm. But before I do that, The goodness of Brene Brown's podcast, Unlocking Us, just kept on giving because after I checked out this episode that Corey told me about, the very next episode, Suze, you're going to love this. It was a conversation with Susan Cain, who you sparked us with a while back. Mm -hmm. She wrote the book, Quiet, which was all about the power of introverts. Well, Susan Cain has a new book coming out called Bittersweet how sorrow and longing make us whole. And of course, at this point, I am thinking, I am in the right place. I am listening to the right podcast. Right where I need to be in the right moment. So Bittersweet is not out yet. You can pre-order it. By the time this episode airs, it might be out. But she has the TED Talk called The Hidden Power of Sad Songs and Rainy Days, which is a bit of a precursor to the book, Bittersweet. Mm. And of course, we have this interview with Brene Brown. So Susan Cain said her definition of bittersweet is the recognition that light and dark and joy and sorrow are always going to coexist. And that's what life is. And it's an awareness of passing time. It's an awareness of the impermanence of life. But it's also a kind of piercing joy at how incredibly gorgeous and beautiful life is. Then she really got me when she said, what I have come to believe is 
we are creatures who are born to transform pain into beauty. When I tell you that I wept, Suze, I mean, for real, isn't this why we create? Isn't this why we long to make things? I mean, maybe it's just me and my my sensitive soul creative type, but to me, this is the reason to create. She goes on to say, we are creatures who are born to transform pain into beauty because one thing is certain, we're all going to experience pain at some point. Probably we all have already, like some kind of profound pain. There's two things we can do with that. One thing is to not really acknowledge it. And then we end up consciously or unconsciously taking it out on other people through abuse or passive aggression or whatever it is for us. Sidebar, that's a phenomenon we like to call hurt people, hurt people. Mm. And then the other thing we can do is accept that pain as part of life too. And what we can do to transform it into something else, into some kind of healing state to somehow turn it into beauty. She says she went on this quest to really understand all of this. And there is, of course, a 2,000-year tradition of artists and musicians and writers, all the poets. They've been trying to tell us all, this is what makes us uniquely human. This is what connects us as human beings. And in her TED Talk, Susan Cain talks about this ancient and universal feeling that the author C.S. Lewis called the inconsolable longing for what we do not know. The best way to describe it, according to Kane, is to think about why we love sad songs and sad music. According to this TED Talk, people play happy songs on their playlist an average of 175 times, but they play sad songs an average of 800 times. Ooh. And they tell researchers that they associate sad music with beauty and wonder, and transcendence, Mm. the so-called sublime emotions. Mm. In many cases, the sad songs make us feel better. And Susan Cain questions, why are sad songs so uplifting? I will tell you, Suze, I used to sit alone in a room listening to sad songs, crying, emoting, And I always thought I did it because in a dark room by myself, I was allowed to feel my feelings. When in the world, I was told, you're too sensitive, pull yourself together, lighten up, or any combination of those comments. But with sad songs, I felt relief. And I was relieved of any expectation that my feelings would be contained or needed to be contained. I felt the opposite of containment. I felt expansive. So Susan Cain's theory is that we listen to this music because we're trying to capture that state of longing, that joy that is laced with sorrow, often triggered when we experience something so exquisite that it seems to come to us from some other world. I know Maria was top of mind, but dare I say I related all of this to my emotions around Maria and her passing. Maria was from another world entirely. And her performances evoked for all of us a feeling of transcendence. And right on cue, the next thing Susan Cain says is, this is why we give painters and rock stars such exalted status, because they are the ones who bring us the breadth of magic from that other place. This was like a balm for my soul. Just thinking about Maria's performances, her artwork, the way we all exalted her, just like so many performers that we know and we love, they're the ones who bring us the breadth of magic from that other place. And as artists and creatives, I think we long to bring the breadth of magic from that other place, to share it with others. Beautiful works of art break our hearts, I think. And Susan Cain says, our broken hearts connect us to each other. It's actually that pain that connects us to each other. I love this so much because I always describe the feeling of sharing creative work as cracking open our chest, revealing our heart to another person or people, and hoping they see it, embrace it, accept it, connect with it. And all of this is great. 
I keep coming back to that. This is all great, but modern culture does not celebrate this idea of sharing our feelings or feeling the pain. It tells us to smile, to toughen up buttercup, get over it, move on, or just hurry up and get back to work. Frankly, we don't have time for you to be feeling these feelings. And I felt that all week. I, I, I'm not allowed to take a moment to feel these feelings. As Susan Cain and Brene said on the podcast, this culture is all about what is going well, what's next, and anything that isn't going well is a detour from the main road. And really, the pain is not a detour from the main road. The pain is part of the main road. Mm. And I really felt very thankful to have tuned into this on this week. And, you know, again, thanks to Corey, but I think this is what I felt this week. There wasn't a moment to stop. It was a relentless list of things that needed to get done. It seemed like I would cry, feel some pain and think basically, but I have to get back on the main road, but I have to get back to the main thing. Right. Right. Like this is just some like, uh, but let me get back on track. But I did stop. I just decided I was going to stop and it was going to have to be okay. I didn't always feel like it was okay to stop and let grief and sorrow just sweep over me, but it has to be okay. We have to make it okay because it is all part of life. It's all part of the main road. Light and dark coexist. And I do believe we have to let ourselves feel all of it Based on listening to Brene Brown and Karen Walren and Susan Kane, I don't think I'm alone, obviously. I think there's millions of others who are feeling things deeply and looking for a way through and a way to accept the way the world is right now, feel our feelings about it, and still look for joy and still look for beauty. If you're a creative, which if you're listening to this podcast, I highly suspect <laughs> you, might you be. are. <laughs> Got me crazy, but I think you just might be. You're looking for a way to make something of it all that will bring more light and more goodness into the world. Am I right? I feel like that's what we all want to do. So what do we make of it? What do we make of it? Number one is I think we make works of profound sadness and beauty Break our hearts. Use all mm. of the pain. Use all of it. It is not a detour. It is the main road. Like Marcus Aurelius said, a blazing fire makes flame and brightness out of everything that is thrown into it. Thank you, Jenny Steingart, for sharing that quote with us. Thank you, Jenny. But use it all. If you are on a mission to create something and you feel you've been on a detour due to any number of circumstances, the pandemic or loss or pain, please use it. Know that it is part of the path, not a detour from the path. Now, so that's first and foremost. Here's some other things that we can make of the information that I just shared. If you listen to Karen Walrand and Brene Brown, you make a relentless practice of gratitude, a daily listing of all that is good. We must. Mm. I think of this as similar to how we rewire our brains in regard to resistance or in regard to the imposter syndrome. In those cases, we have to make a practice of hearing the good things about ourselves, keeping a file of evidence of our value and our achievements in the world, strengthening the muscle that advocates for our own self-worth rather than focusing on the negative. It's just the same way when we think of the world. It has been proven that even though we say we would like to hear good news in the world, there are infinitely more clicks on articles that are about doom and gloom than there are mm. clicks on happy stories of like local heroes and people who are helping and success stories. And as long as those stories get more clicks, more of them will be written. We must focus our attention on the good things that are happening in the world. Maybe it's Instagram channels like at good news, or maybe you just start with what's right in front of you. What is around you? Are you healthy? Is your body strong and capable do you have loved ones around you? Do you have a warm, dry place to sleep at night? Do you have a enjoyment? And on and on. And I'm not saying that this is no, this is not a replacement for the sad feelings. 
this is not to like intercept them and change them. Like I, you still need to feel the sad feelings, but in order to not be overwhelmed with what's going on in the world, mm-hmm. Karen Walren writes in her journal every morning and prays every night religiously. And her prayers consist of being thankful for things that are good in, in the world. Mm-hmm. And she makes a point that if we don't have a practice when times are good, we don't have a practice of doing this when times are good. It's very unlikely that we will develop a practice when times are tough. So my friends get started noticing the good sidebar, but important to note, Karen is actually speaking from experience here. She lost her entire home and her belongings to a hurricane Uh. and her gratitude practice got her through on the very first night without a home, some neighbors that she had never met took her in and took her family in. And she wrote in her journal that night as part of her practice, I'm grateful for strangers who are willing to care for my family. And had she not already established that practice, she said she thought it was very unlikely that she would have had that perspective on that night. Oh man. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So for me this week, having the celebration of life for Maria was also a version of this, and I'm grateful for it. It was taking the time to dedicate to thinking about and listing and sharing all of the good that we felt about knowing Maria and all the gratitude we felt for getting the gift of Maria in our lives. One other thing that we could do to keep ourselves focused on the good in our lives, and this this came from um, Brene and Karen as well, you could challenge yourself with a simple goal such as, I'm going to take one photo every day of something I think is beautiful. That's it. You can post Mm. it or share it or don't post it or share it. Just keep it to yourself. But whenever you're feeling down and slightly convinced that everything sucks, You can just open up your photos on your phone and scroll through all that is beautiful. This is obvious. We've talked about it before, but you can take a media break too. Just know that it is okay. It's okay to take a break from the news or put yourself on a media diet of only 15 minutes per day, et cetera. You're empowered to do what you need to do to keep yourself and your psyche healthy. Karen Walrand also talks about her specific journaling process, and there's many ways you can do it, of course, and we've talked about many, and and you and I, I think, do different forms of journaling, but here's her process in case it's useful, and you can listen to Brene Brown's Unlocking Us for the full story, of course, but Walrand journals on three questions each day. How can I feel connected today? How can I feel healthy today? How can I feel purposeful today? connected, healthy, purposeful. So it might be, you know, she said like some days, how can I feel healthy today? Might be going to the gym or going for a run or whatnot, but it also might be, I'm going to drink extra water today, or I'm going to allow myself a half hour nap, you know, in the middle of the day, whatever. There's a lot of ways you can feel healthy today. Another thing we might make of this is to give ourselves permission to sit in a dark room, listening to sad songs, feeling our feelings. Can we remember that the pain points are the same as our passion points? We feel pain about those things that matter to us. My friendships matter. And Maria's passing reminded me that I need to reconnect with people who I think of often, but I don't reach out to enough. My pain point was that I had not told Maria how much I learned from her or how much I appreciated her. I just always assumed that we would reconnect. So I feel pain, which points me in the direction of taking some action so that I don't make the same mistake with other friends. We can all read Karen Walren's book, The Lightmaker's Manifesto, How to Work for Change Without Losing Your Joy. We can read Susan Cain's book when it comes out, Bittersweet, How Longing and Sorrow Make Us Whole. And we can continue to make works of art that create beauty out of sorrow, that break our hearts and connect us all. Susan Cain says that heartache unexpectedly brings us closer to the sublime beauty of life. And I have to say, after the week that I have had, and the pain that I've experienced. I am counting on it, Susan Kane. I am counting on it. Oh, Laura, that is a beautiful spark. Thanks, friend. So many gems in what you are sharing. First, I just want to say I'm so sorry for your loss. Thanks. Maria, 
I never met Maria, but I know a lot about Maria through <laughs> through your um, telling of her. And I'm just reminded that not all amazing people are well-known people. Oh my God, no. You know what I mean? Like just these extraordinary humans and creatives. Mm-hmm. I always think like what a gift, what a treasure it is to know some of these people in our lifetimes. Oh my God. And Susan, what a terrible barometer of excellence in humans. Fame. Oh. Fame is just a terrible, and we have been sold that bill of goods as though like this is some measure of a person. It's a measure of something for sure, but it's not a measure of a human being. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Another, what do we make of it is when something like this happens, and I was thinking about you getting together with that friend group for a celebration of life for Maria, so many memories are knocked loose and it's a great time to open up your spark file and start catching them. That's right. Because, you know, little sparks and little memories are fleeting and it's rain and sparks around times like this. It is yeah. raining sparks. Yeah. I feel like times like this, it's a bit to this Susan Kane and the themes of her new book. Times like this, when we are all up in our feelings, whether that's we've suffered a loss, we've suffered a breakup, whatever precipitates it, it really does for me anyway, it brings to life. Like I hear songs and I'm like, oh God, I've heard that song 100 times. Yes. That's what it means. Like you, you can hear things in different ways because there's a layer of protection. Your shields are down a little bit. And yes. And I just think it's a very fertile. I'm not saying that you have to be productive in your creativity, but it's a fertile time to open up your spark file and open up your heart. And as an artist and as a creative, I think it's just a really, really special time. I agree. And I also feel like there is a way that we can give ourselves permission to braid the two things together, the light and the dark, so that they're walking side by side down this main path, rather than this is a sad, dark period. And this is a joyful period. They are braided together. They are intertwined. And instead of seeing it as like, I need to stop, stop and be sad, which I did say, or just earlier, I did give myself permission to stop, but like, instead, couldn't it be like, I give myself permission to continue to move forward, maybe at a slower pace with this pain. Yeah. So if we need to have this meeting, I'm having this meeting with pain here with me. Yeah. Pain is here. We're going to record this episode. If we're going to do this podcast, yeah. It's going to have the pain. I'm like, I'm not going to pretend that the pain isn't here. It's here and it's woven in with joy and gratitude. I'm so thankful. There isn't a single thing that I do every day for the spark file that I don't love doing. As you know, I get to, and I get to work with fucking Susan Blackwell and she's the best. uh, She's the fucking best. And I love it. I love my business partner. I love our clients. I love all of that. And the pain was here with me at the same time. Yeah, that makes so much sense. When you were talking about the work of Karen Walrand with the Lightmakers Manifesto, Catherine May with Wintering, Susan Cain with her new book, Bittersweet, all of these thought leaders and Brene Brown, I think so many of these people and so many of these concepts are giving us permission. So much of this stuff is about giving us permission to experience our lives in a full way. Not just like the primary path in my life is productivity and work. And these other things are, uh, you know what I mean? It's like you get to winter when you're in a wintering season. That's right. You get to have the bittersweet times. You get to, you know, if you want to survive being an activist, it is part of it. And here are some other things you can think about to make sure that you don't completely like flame out. Yeah. It's so interesting too, because these conversations that these women have brought forward, Susan Cain and Brene Brown talk about it. When Susan Cain wrote her book, quiet about introverts and the power of introverts. That was not a conversation that was happening. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say they didn't say this, but 
I would say that when Brene Brown came out with her research on vulnerability, vulnerability was not a conversation people were having. And they literally put the pain into the light and said, hey, let's all take a look at this. Let's all talk about this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they changed. I think they changed everything. I can say for little sensitive soul empaths. Yeah. You know what I mean? We all have her to thank. You know, Susan Cain, Maida Wagner's Five Creative Types. Susan Cain, I just know a little bit, just have spent a tiny little bit of time, but have taken a deep dive into her work. If that is not a sensitive soul, oh, yeah. I just don't know what it is. She is just a beautiful, sensitive soul. Yes. And she was almost a lawyer. Yeah. It's really, really interesting. In this, in this TED Talk, she talks about... Um, how she had dedicated her life to becoming a lawyer and she had a vision for becoming partner. And that vision was based on, she had gone to one of the partner's homes and it was this little 1800s, like built in the 1800s in the West Village, um, former house of a poet, you know, 18th century poet or something. And she was like, oh my God, I have to live in this place. And so she realized she built this whole vision on like, I want to live in a poet's house not so much that I want to be a lawyer, but I, I need to envision this life so that I can have that life. Yes. And one day they, they, one of the partners came in and told her, you're not going to make partner. It's not going to happen. And she was devastated. She left that very day. She said, I need a, le- a leave of absence. She left that day. A few weeks later, she broke up with her partner of seven years because that hadn't been working either. And she immediately started writing because a friend of hers, I guess, she started like dating a musician and she was obsessed with. And a friend was like, I don't think it's him that you're obsessed with. What do you think you might actually be obsessed with? And she was like, oh my God, I'm again, like I'm obsessed with, Mm. he represents a writer's life, an artist's life. And that is, it, it was like that little house that belonged to a poet, this guy, she kept gravitating towards things that represented the life that she actually wanted. So not making partner was the biggest gift. She became a writer immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And she made that beautiful house, her quiet house in Nyack. Like it's just, she eventually, yeah, made it happen. She made it happen. Um, That I'm very taken by this, this thing that you shared about, front loading, whether it's self-compassion, self-care and uh, Karen Walren's, if we don't have a practice of gratitude in place when things are good, it would be, I think, difficult to begin that practice or access that gratitude when a hurricane has just taken the roof off your house. Yes. And so friends, another, what do we make of this? Let me tell you, like this is a practice that is actually a pleasure. And Laura Camion and I engage in this. My husband and I engage in this. Sometimes I sucker other people into this when I'm just like, when somebody has an expression of when I'm irritable, say I'm irritable, and I tell Laura Camion, we get on our work call for the day, and I'm like, this is where I'm at today. And maybe Laura meets me and she's like, well, this is where I'm at today. And after we've had a chance to be in our feelings and express them, Every once in a while, we have the presence of mind to say, let's have, let's play the gratitude game. And we just go back and forth. I'm grateful today because I have clean clothes and I'm so thankful that I get to wear clean clothes today. And then Laura will do one. Laura, you do one now. Mm. I am thankful Uh, I'm thankful for a warm meal that I'm about to have for dinner. Nice. Frankly. And Laura and I just ping pong that back and forth Mm -hmm. until we sort of depart the character two part of our brain. Thank you, Jill Bolte-Taylor. We sort of, that part of us that was irritable or just like, we felt our feelings, we fully expressed them. And then we sort of migrate over into a more gratitudinal part of our brain. And I will say, I do think that it helps when the going is really tough when it's not just, I feel mild irritation, but it's something more profound. It's nice to have that gratitude muscle strong and flexible. Can I also say like, that can be amazing in a relationship too. Wes and I talked about this, like early on in our relationship, you can make a choice. When you look at that person, you see and think everything that you love about that person rather than like, you know, fucking cannot take out the trash to save his life. Yeah. 
Um, instead of like focusing on little things like that's not true about West Day, by the way, but <laughs> he takes um, out the trash like a champion. He will. I mean, I have to prepare it, but he will take it down. Um, to me, that is like one of the biggest secrets to a happy relationship is you just never get stuck in the listing of, you know what, and you know what annoys me is da 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 da. And you know what else? This da da da. And then this. Da-da-da. That's a practice. You can strengthen that muscle if you want. That's right. It's like, oh, I might be irritated that I would like Wes to take the trash down, but then I can say, and you know what I love about West Day? Yeah. And I could list for, ten, yeah. you know, I'd go on for 10 yeah. minutes. And that's where I want my focus to be, not on some inconsequential thing. Yeah. I love that. I love the relentless practice of gratitude I wrote down relentless practice of gratitude. I love it. That's Karen Walren. She said that, and I just want to underscore it. She was like, relentless, religiously. Yeah. She's just like, this is bottom line. When we talk like with wheels about like, what is the bare minimum of what I can do? She's like, this is, this is what I do and nothing less. And I say again, it's pleasurable. It's not like doing push-ups. No, it's joyful. It actually is pleasurable and you can really move yourself from being just like sour or victimy into this other part of your brain and your heart and we highly endorse it. And then I wrote this down and I just love it. Use it all and break our hearts. Use it all and break our hearts. We want it. We want it. And also that'd be a great that'd be a great um album title use it all and break our hearts use it all and break our hearts i feel proud of that i feel like that was my takeaway of all of it aren't we here to break our hearts and literally crack them open wide and share them with someone else use it all and they open theirs up and we're just like oh yeah our broken hearts connect connect yeah and then i just i want to loop around back to the beginning of of me, what do we make of this thing? Which is, I'm so sorry for your loss. Thanks, babe. I appreciate it. But I, I mean, thank you. I really do appreciate it. I feel my heart goes out to Maria's close, you know, close, close friends, her family, the people who, who have the joy of having Maria in their lives on a daily basis. And yeah, she was a real light and really was a gift to all of us that knew her. Well, I'm really glad that we got to shine her light on the Spark File podcast. Thank you. thank you. Thanks for everyone, listeners, if you're still with us, thank you for indulging me a moment to mark the life of a really beautiful person. And thanks for being a spark, Maria Santucci. Oh my God. She was a human spark fest. She still is. Yeah. She still is still a spark. Is. Still is. All right, friends. That's it. This episode of The Spark File was made on the lands of the Lenape people. And as always, we hope it put another bunch of sparks in your file. Listen, if there's a spark you'd like us to explore, or if you'd like to learn more about how to coach with us to bring your creative ideas to life, email us at thesparkfile at gmail.com or submit it through our website, thesparkfile.com. We will even happily take your feedback. You know we will. We truly will. But first, you know the price of admission. You have to share a creative risk that you've taken recently. You can follow us on social at The Spark File and be sure to subscribe, rate, and five-star review this podcast. It really does help other listeners to find us. Also, if you like this podcast, we hope that you will share it with people that you love. And if you didn't like it, we are still so grateful for you listening this far. So grateful. Friends, if anything anything we've shared today lights you up, gets your creative sparks flying. We're writing you a forever permission slip to make that thing that's been knocking at your door. It's your turn to take that spark and fan it into a flame. You know, you got to take it and and make make it. it. Something that inspires me I dump it in my spark file Could be something that I want to make Or how I want to be 
I'll pump it in my spark files. I jump into my spark files. Let's open up the spark files. Hi, friends. It's Susan Blackwell from The Spark File, your one-stop shop for creativity where our doors are open. And if you smell something delicious, that's because Laura Camion and I have been cooking up something special, something designed to make a big difference in people's creative lives. Enter The Brave Creative, a free five-day guided adventure to rediscover the vitality energy and possibility in your creative process whether you're a writer a performer a baker a candlestick maker navigating the creative process can be a bear but never fear there's power in numbers at the spark file so let's link arms and make the trip together it's may 13th through 17th 7 p.m eastern less than one hour per day and if you can't join live don't worry about it. You can watch the replay. Join us by going to thesparkfile.com to register. And hey, if you're not familiar with The Spark File, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Secondly, we work with hundreds of creatives of all different kinds who are ready to take their next big step. We help folks fear less and create more in a community that is so fun and vibrant. And if you have joined us before, know that we are going deep with the Brave Creative. So buckle up, Buttercup. It is going to be an awesome adventure. Go to thesparkfile.com to register, but do it soon because it all starts May 13th. Thesparkfile.com. Register now. Register now.